You're listening to audio from Calvary Gravenhurst in Muskoka, Ontario. For more resources or to connect with someone in the church, please visit calvarygravenhurst.com. This week's sermon is taught by lead pastor Benjamin Emery. For those of you who don't know me, my name is uh, Gary Taylor. I serve as one of the elders here at Calvary. You know, we have an amazing array of, of men who can deliver God's word. We have Pastor Ben has been such a blessing to us for six, seven years now. Pastor Mark came in board two or three years later, an incredible preacher. And we just have now included Pastor Dustin Good to the team, and he is also an amazing speaker. And sadly enough, I have to say, you folks are stuck with me this morning. So I guess it's sort of like drawing the short straw. But it's my privilege to share from God's word something that is not often spoken of, spiritual darkness. Uh, We know that there's darkness. Night reminds us of darkness. And I didn't wear this dark shirt today because of the darkness we're speaking about. It's to hide this perspiration that's pouring out of my armpits right now. (laughs) The the amazing thing about how God puts things together is I've been praying for several days that God would be glorified every moment of this sermon because it's so easy for us to start being too much focused on spiritual darkness and becoming interested in that and making that way too big. And I want God to be extremely big, extremely large here this morning, the forces of darkness to be nothing. I am nothing. I'm delivering the power of God's word this morning, I trust. But it's God that is everything. And I was really wrestling with how to start this morning. But what better way than to pray and to speak from God's word. Almighty God, we thank you for your faithfulness, for the power of your Holy Spirit that dwells in those who have come to know you as Savior. Thank you for the wonderful worship we've had already this morning in hearing the greatness that comes from music and the raising of voices to heaven. And Father, I pray that as we spend some time in your word this morning that you will be honored, you will be glorified, you will be magnified. And that there'll be nothing from me that isn't singing praises and shouting praises to you. And if there's anything from my mouth that comes that's not from you, Lord, just let it not be heard this morning. And Father, I pray that your holy word will just speak powerfully in our midst this morning. I just want to share a couple of verses. This is, this is not part of this, the, the um, scripture this morning, but God just impressed upon me to bring this first of all. Psalm 145. I exalt you, my God, the King, and bless your name forever and ever. I will bless you every day. I will praise your name forever and ever. The Lord is great and highly praised. His greatness is unsearchable. One generation will declare your works to the next and will proclaim your mighty acts. I will speak of your splendor and your glorious majesty and your wondrous works. And that's what we want to do this morning is speak of your majesty, Lord, and your wondrous works. 
this is a difficult topic. This was tough for me. And mostly because it was challenging in that I realized that, that this whole topic of, of the spiritual realm, spiritual darkness, there's such a wide range of understanding. Um, some may know very little. Some have lots of understanding. There may be some here this morning this is brand new to. And so it was a challenge for me to really come to terms before God, where are we going to start with this? And how are we going to lay this out? And I really was thinking in terms of, of this spiritual battle that, that we are in, whether you know it, whether you like it or not, we're all part of it. And if we're in a battle, uh, this would be a place where uh, Pastor Ben would be much more equipped to, to, to lay this out. But, but this is what God gave me in terms of how we, how we might prepare and the first thing we have to recognize or think about is, is we look at the lay of the land and is there really an enemy? Do we have an enemy or not? And, and if there is an enemy, what do we know about the enemy? We really need to know something about the enemy. And then if we, we know the enemy and we know something about him, we need to be start preparing for battle so that we can understand the strength of the enemy. But then we also have to be ready and this state of preparedness is so important because we have to be able to act offensively and defend ourselves defensively. And, and also, we also need to understand what are the weapons we have at our, at our hand? What, are we, what can we use to fight this battle? And so this is where this is all going to unfold here this morning, those, those topics. And, and if we don't grasp these things in, in somewhat this bit of an order... It's going to be really hard for these final instructions from the Apostle Paul that we're going to look at a little later to make any sense. And so, first of all, I want to just touch on some of the prevailing beliefs about this dark world, the satanic forces of evil. What, what do people generally think about this? And from earliest times, in the ancient cultures, the existence of evil, if satanic forces were, were well known and they were well understood and they absolutely believed that they were there. And they were called by many different names in different cultures. And there are some cultures today in the more undeveloped countries, if I can use that term, uh, they are very much aware of the forces of evil around them and they live with that every day. There have been whole cults built around the forces of evil witchcraft and various other occult practices. Now, generally speaking, in North America, that's us, folks, where we live, the culture, we are in this age of enlightenment where science is everything, knowledge is everything. And mankind has essentially got it all figured out, except the fact that we're struggling with fear and anxiety and depression and anger and all of those things. We have to put all that aside. But, but the reality is that this age of enlightenment doesn't leave any room for the supernatural. And so that means that God and Satan, the forces of darkness, are essentially non-existent or at least totally irrelevant. And from my experience over the last three generations, from the time I was a kid, I can see and have seen that the evil, satanic forces, all of that has become a great source of entertainment a great source of entertainment. When I was a kid growing up, I remember a sitcom called Bewitched. Funny show based on, on the forces of darkness. And 
for some of you might remember, there was a, a, a comedian, his name was Flip Wilson. And he would, he would dress himself up, I see a nodding head, dress himself up as a woman. And when every time he got backed into a corner with something he had done incorrectly or wrong, he would always say, the devil made me do it. And so that was his favorite line in comedy. But how does this prevailing thinking, how does that align itself with what the average Canadian North American Christian believes about spiritual darkness? Because this is really where we face a crisis of belief. Because many people even, there may be some here, think, well, you know, it's not that big a deal. I've heard that from, from people who should have known better in the Christian, in Christian circles. Because the Bible paints a very much different picture. And it makes it absolutely and abundantly clear that we do have spiritual forces of darkness working in our midst, and they are real. Absolutely. And one scripture that comes to mind was what Peter said. He said, beware, be on guard, because your adversary, the devil, roams around or prowls around like a roaring lion looking for somebody to devour. And that's serious business. So with those prevailing cultural beliefs that we've had to talk about now, there are many different ways in which people understand this now. But we have to remember that, that Satan, the, the, the chief devil here, the, the head of it all, that's his name. He's also, is by nature, he's a deceiver. And these non-modern cultures of today who are very much aware of this darkness, Satan plays on their fear. And they're terrorized many times by him generating that fear. And that is a tactic that he's used for thousands of years. Now, the modern, more enlightened person, the individual such as those of us who are living in this era, in this environment, Satan is using the general unbelief, convincing men and women that they are God. They can be like God, or there doesn't have to be a God. You can be your own God. And if that sounds very new and, and rather uh, um, foreign to you, then all you need to do is go to the first book of the, of the Bible, and you can see that Satan exactly, that's not a new argument. That's not a new lie, because he used that very same one in the garden where he said to Adam and Eve, you can be like God. And all the while, he's using this in perfect sync with his plans to control through deception and, and fear. It's an amazing amount of fear in North America right now in people's lives, and they have no idea where that's originating from, originating from. And so we as Christians, we absolutely need to be aware because many Christians in North America have lapsed into what one very astute and troubled Iranian believer said. And I, saw, I heard this from, from that documentary, Wolves and in sheep's clothing. A couple moved to the U.S. from Iran. And the wife was very troubled when she was attending church. And what she said was, I want to go home. I want to go back to Iran. With this huge persecution, she wanted to go back to Iran because she said the church in North America is under the spell of Satan's lullaby. And in her words, she said, and I'm getting sleepy. Several years ago, our youngest son, Matthew, shared with us an amazing, life-changing sermon that he had heard at his church, and it was entitled, The Slumbering Spirit. 
And that transformed his life as a believer. And Ephesians 5, 13 and 14, which we've, which we've heard and read in the past already, Paul says, everything exposed by the light is made visible. For what makes everything visible is light. Therefore it said, get up, sleeper, rise up from the dead, and Christ will shine in you. Church, we need to wake up to this reality that the demonic realm is real, it's alive, and it's active. Now, the Apostle Paul, this is something that's really important. We've gone through this amazing book of Ephesians, and I have been so taken and so changed by this book. Amazing what Paul wrote to us. But he, all through that letter, when he was writing to the Ephesian church, the Ephesian Christians, he didn't spend any time explaining to them about the forces of darkness. They were fully acquainted with the demonic world. And this was a time and a place where Satan was fully in control of the lives of the Ephesian people. And you know something? It's really no different than today. If we read it in the book of Acts, Acts 19, there's some of the story about his time, Paul's time in Ephesus. And Paul was casting out demons out of people's lives. And there's a really real revealing story about seven young brothers, young men, who very unsuccessfully attempted to remove a demon from a man. And they were soundly thrashed by this demonic force and sent packing, stripped naked, and running for their lives. But the church in Ephesus was, was, was living in a, in a city. Those people were living in a city that was consumed by the occult. It was a huge um, temple, worship temple in Ephesus. And so they were very much acquainted with the occult and participated in it. And it also says in, in, in Acts that many of them had books on the occult and they burned those books in honoring of God. And it said after that, God's word flourished in that time. But this was a place of pagan worship. And it was a temple that was famous for that pagan worship. So they were very familiar with the occult. So we know there's an enemy so now let's see what the enemy is a bit like. And then we'll get into the, the actual passage of Scripture. So we need to know the enemy. The rest of the sermon now, that was a lot of that was my own understanding of how that there is an enemy. Now I want to look at what does the Bible actually say about all of these things? That's what's really important for us. We understand this stuff from God's Word. So the first encounter with Satan was very early on in Scripture. The first book, Genesis there was no previous explanation. He just suddenly appeared with the temptation and the deception in the Garden of Eden. And he appeared as a serpent in that story. But where is his beginning? Who was he in the beginning? Where did he come from? And the answer again to these questions we find in Scripture. And let me just read a passage from the book of Isaiah, the Old Testament. And this speaks of who he is. Isaiah 14, 12 to 14. Shining morning star, how you have fallen from the heavens, you destroyer of nations. You've been cut down to the ground. You said to yourself, I will ascend to the heavens. I will set up my throne above the stars of God. I will set on the mount of the God's assembly in the remotest parts of the north. I will ascend above the highest clouds. I will make myself like the most high. This beautiful angelic being was also referred to as Lucifer. That was the 
Latin translation of the Hebrew word for day star, he aspired to be like God and he was thrown out of heaven. Ezekiel 28 also speaks of this beautiful created being gone bad and thrown out of heaven. And of course, Revelation 12, which we read over a number of times, passes of that during Christmas because it was also parallels at the time of the birth of our Savior. And there was a great battle in heaven. And the dragon, Satan, he was kicked out of heaven with a multitude of angels. So who is Satan and his demons? The scriptures would tell us that they are fallen angels. Created beings who rebelled against God. Now the Genesis 3 account of the uh, of the creation of humanity and God giving authority to man over earth and to care for it. But what happened during that, that fall was that man fell from grace. God stripped man, Adam and Eve of the rule over the earth. All humanity lost that privilege and were cursed, were given a hardened heart with a propensity to sin. And guess who stepped in? Satan says, pick me. I'll rule over the earth. And so he is referred to in Scripture in a number of places in the New Testament. Uh, Jesus referred to him in John chapter 12 and 14 as the prince of the world. And Paul speaks to him in chapter 2 of Ephesians as the ruler of the power of the air. And John, in, in 1 John chapter 5, he said, Satan is in control of the whole world. But, here's a big but. We're coming back to how big God is. Let's never forget during this morning's service how big God is. Because Satan has been given rule over the earth, which is limited rule. Limited rule. And this is absolutely critical for us to know. Satan operates completely under the authority and control of Almighty God. Nothing outside of God's permission and control. Now, Jesus speaks about how God's pervasive hand is over everything in Matthew 10, 29 to 31. He speaks of how God is in control even of the sparrows that die and fall to earth. He has counted the hairs, every one of the hairs on your head. Psalm 147 says that he he knows every star by name. If we go a little bit further, we see how in the book of Jonah, God has completely sovereign over the forces of the wind. A giant fish who swallowed up Jonah and spit him out on dry land. He's even in charge of this worm who came and ate off the plant that Jonah was sitting under when he was pouting at God. From the biggest to the smallest, we have about 30 to 35 trillion cells in our body. Now, I don't know who counted them. 30 to 35 trillion. So God has counted every one of those. And there's about a million of those die every day. And he's in control of those cells that die every single day. And yet he also has numbered the stars. That's how big God is. Keep that in mind. He controls everything. There's nothing that happens outside of God's hand both good and evil. Everything is controlled by the hand of God. Those of you who listen to Paul Carter's podcast, I just want to remind you to go and listen again to the first two chapters of the book of Job. 
Those are amazing commentaries on the greatness of God and how he controls every single movement of Satan's hand. Every single movement. Nothing Satan does is what God, but what God gives him control. And Paul refers to Satan as God's dog on a chain. Good description. He's just a dog on a chain, and God lets the chain out, pulls the chain in, keeps him muzzled, lets the muzzle off. He's completely in control of all the forces of darkness. That's really important to remember. So if we're going to prepare for the battle now, this is something that's really significant as well. We have to understand what is the strength of Satan? What is his tactic? What are his purposes? What are his goals? And this was a long introduction. And that was just the introduction. So I better hurry. Now we want to take a look at actually the passage of Ephesians. Ephesians 6. And if you, uh, there's a Bible in the pew if you don't have one. And every week we want to, we want to offer anyone who doesn't have a Bible, please take the Bible that's in the, in the, in the chair underneath you. Take it home. And, and, and start reading that Bible because your life will be changed, transformed completely if you open this book on a regular basis. So we're looking at Ephesians 6, verses 10 to 20. And we'll read that. And this is Paul winding up. And, and he starts with, finally, that's significant, finally, be strengthened by the Lord and his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. For this reason, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having prepared everything to take your stand. Stand, therefore, with truth like a belt around your waist, righteousness like armor on your chest, and your feet sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. In every situation, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Pray at all times in the Spirit with every prayer and request. Stay alert with all perseverance and intercessions for all the saints. Pray also for me, for the message may be given to me, uh, that the message may be given to me when I open my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. For this, I'm an ambassador in chains. Pray that I might be bold enough to speak about it as I should. So if we're going to be prepared for battle... Paul reaches this point where he says, finally. So if he says finally, that means he's reminding us that there's a lot of good stuff he said already in this letter. And what's so incredible about this is that, is that he's capping this off with this absolute admonition and warning to say, look, folks, this is really significant. This is really important, church, that you understand this. Because he said in the beginning, he said right from the very Beginning of time, before the creation of the world, I chose you. He chose each one of us before the foundation of the world 
those who have committed their life to Jesus Christ. And he adopted us into the family of God, so Paul says. We've been adopted by his glorious grace. Those of us who put our faith and trust in Jesus have been given the indwelling presence of his Holy Spirit. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. And we were saved by his glorious grace. His glorious grace. We were removed from the dominion of darkness. Like that. You know, you get the idea. It was instant. It was real fast. Taking us from the dominion of darkness into the dominion of light. An amazing, amazing truth. And then he said, now, now, this is how you're to live. Take off those old clothes of unrighteousness and wear the new clothing of righteousness. Walk in the light. Get rid of the occult practices. Stop the sin of sexual impropriety and lying and stealing and cheating and, and gluttony and, and all of those things that we are prone to and start walking in the newness of life. Renew the relationships that you're living with. Make them according to godly patterns. Husband and wife, children and parents, master and slave in our day, employee, employer. All of these great things that he's already told us about. As believers, these are what we're called to. And then he says, now, finally, now we get to something that's really significant, church, because he says, if you, you really have to get this. Because this is crucial to the spiritual success and your well-being as believers. To know this concluding powerful truth about battling this unseen enemy of darkness. And you have been, that's you and I, that's me, I have been enslaved. I had been enslaved to this power of darkness all of the life that I lived before I became a Christian. And now, now he said, the tide will turn for all of us. It will turn for all of us if we hear and listen and start living in the way that I teach you in this letter. See, it's impossible to live this Christian life powerfully, successfully, effectively without living according to these final principles. Finally, I'm giving you these final principles that are so significant. You must absolutely absolutely be strengthened by the mighty God that we're talking about, that we're serving. We must be strengthened by him. We must know where our real source of strength and power come from. We must know that. And we must put on all of the spiritual armor that God has offered to us, has given to us. All of it. Because we cannot stand against the devil's schemes without them. There are spiritual forces out there, Paul says, and he's not only telling the Ephesian church, he's telling us. There are spiritual forces out there, crazy battles going on in the heavens that we have no idea about. And those angelic forces are fighting those battles against those demonic forces are on our behalf. That's part of the shield that God has given us against the forces of darkness. Psalm 34, 7 says that the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he rescues them. So every battle that we're engaged in. You see, we talk about and we, and we look as we go further along about how the, the battle is 
not against flesh and blood, but many times we think it is. We're fighting against one another and we're squabbling. That is not just humanity squabbling with one another. Satan and his demons are in the midst of that somewhere. Either he is lighting the fire or he's fanning the flames. You can be assured of that. And Satan will use, with God's permission, any secret sin, any kind of sin, any pervasive sin in our lives, any weakness that we're still wrestling with, Satan will use that against us. And what's also interesting to remember, remember Job. Satan will attack also. Even when we're faithfully honoring God, God will sometimes give him permission to attack our lives. And the attack will often come at really significant and pivotal times. Kind of like preparing a sermon. Ask a pastor who's preparing a sermon. See, the Christian, and and also Jesus. Think about Jesus. Jesus was perfect, and yet he was under spiritual attack. Great spiritual attack. We'll talk about that a little bit later, too. But I better hurry. The Christian life was never intended to be smooth sailing, on smooth water. And if you think it is, or that's what you want, man, you're, you're in the wrong boat. Because that's not what the Christian life is about. So what about those satanic forces? How about his strength and his tactics? Satan by name, adversary. He's an adversary. He's an enemy. And Jesus in John eight forty four says that he's a liar, He's the father of lies. He's a murderer. Revelation 9-11 speaks of him as a destroyer. And now it gets even more tricky because Paul warns us, reminds us in 2 Corinthians that Satan masquerades as an angel of light. He's such a deceiver. He can make things look so good. He can make sin look so good and so appealing and so inviting. Lust, gluttony, gossip. Those things can seem so appealing and, and so inviting and they're so destructive, every one of them. Revelation 12, Genesis 3 re- reveals Satan as a tempter. The story of Jesus going into the desert, Matthew 4. He was into the desert and his, he was, the scripture said he was led there by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit led Jesus into the desert And the purpose was to have an encounter with Satan. Jesus speaks also in John 10 of a thief that comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. So what is Satan's goal? I read an interesting article written by John Piper a little while ago. And he he said Satan is both brilliant and he's insane at the same time. Because his first goal, which is absolutely insane, is to destroy the kingdom of God. Now, how insane is that? To think you might have an attempt at destroying God's kingdom. But he's brilliant. He's brilliant in the tactics that he uses to destroy your testimony, to destroy my testimony, to try to destroy God's kingdom within you. But Satan, Satan might tarnish the light, but he will not blot it out. Because Jesus said, I am the light of the world. 
Whoever believes in me will never walk in darkness, but have the light of life. And if you have the light of life living in you, if you have the Lord Jesus Christ dwelling within you, Jesus has assured us that Satan will never be able to blot that out. Satan tried to destroy Jesus. He thought he had him once, but death could not hold our Savior, our King of kings and Lord of lords. As a matter of fact, what his resurrection He defeated the sting of death for all of us. So death has no sting for us, Christians. No sting. Remember, sovereign God is in charge at all times. So if we're going to engage the enemy, we need to be ready to do that, offensively and defensively. Verse 13. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, against the cosmic powers of darkness, against evil, spiritual forces in the heavens. Sorry, that was 12. For this reason, take up the full armor of God, so that you may be able to resist in the evil day, and having prepared everything, to take your stand. See, we must be prepared. We have to have an understanding about this in order to be prepared, to stand against. And he keeps using that word, Be ready to stand. Stand. Be ready to stand against these forces of darkness. Now, preparedness requires training, requires some skill, using the weapons. But training and weapons don't prevent an attack, but does protect us during an attack. The attack will come, church. As a matter of fact, we are being attacked even daily. And many people don't even recognize that the enemy is at work in our lives. So being able to resist requires that we have some understanding of the enemy and know he's at hand and being ready with the armor that God has given us. But remembering that God is the big one. He is the biggest. He is the greatest. He is almighty in this. But we are dealing here with two different kingdoms. The kingdom of light which believers are walking in, in the kingdom of darkness, which the enemy controls. And the question we have to ask ourselves and be watching of is, whose kingdom are we serving? Which kingdom are we in, first of all? And then whose kingdom might we be serving? Sometimes even believers can get caught up and are serving in the kingdom of darkness without even being aware of it because of the deception of the enemy. Now, the something that's... It's, it's, tragic, but true because we are all there, we're all there, is unbelievers, those who have never put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, are fully under the control and influence of the forces of darkness. And they have no idea. There are a few. There are a few people who actually actively go out and pursue the darkness. And Satan will definitely honor that. And people's lives are consumed by the darkness. But the Bible, Paul makes that really clear. And I'm just going to, let me just read Ephesians 2. He said, and you and me were dead in your trespasses and sin, in which you previously lived according to the ways of the world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. That's the unbelievers. And then he goes on to say, and we were all there. We were all part of that. We all served that. And it's really important for us to recognize that that's a very sobering thought 
when we know that the powers of darkness have that kind of control and influence over the unbelieving world. And there are some biblical examples of how this spiritual attack happens and then the fact that it does in, in both kingdoms. And of course, I mentioned the Garden of Eden, the very first temptation. Perfect human beings came under temptation and failed miserably. I mentioned Job, a righteous man before God, but he was given, Satan was given permission to attack Job, to persecute him and cause great suffering in his life. Peter was a disciple of Jesus and Jesus made it very clear to him when Peter tried to rebuke him for for wanting to go the direction he was going and Jesus made it very clear that that was Satan speaking through him. That was Satan speaking through Peter. John chapter 13 and Luke 22. Both John and Luke speak about Satan entering into Judas. That was the man that betrayed Jesus to the cross. Entering in to Judas. And then Luke goes on to say in in Acts, he said that this was all according to God's plan. This was according to God's plan and his purposes. You see, God doesn't just throw us under the bus haphazardly or randomly. God has purpose in absolutely everything that happens, good and evil. And he controls it. And the dog on the chain is used for God's purposes. But we have to remember that. But it still happens. And I remember... um, Many years ago, listening to a speaker who was speaking about spiritual warfare, and, and, and now I understand he didn't always just have it right because um, he was speaking about Satan having going around like a roaring lion, but he, uh, he didn't have any teeth. Well, that's not the way it is, folks. Satan does have teeth. He gets unmuzzled from time to time. Open Doors Ministry, which we've heard quite a lot about in the last little while, um, just reported that 360 million Christians around the world are being persecuted to varying degrees, some even unto death. And, I, and I've read different times that there are more Christians being persecuted unto death, dying for their faith now than at any other time in history. So it's really significant that we recognize that that this is Satan working through the hands of evil men. And now, we know that Satan does roam around like a roaring lion, but sometimes he uses lies and deception. He'll put people to sleep here in North America rather than us being vigilant at our posts. He'll convince us not to make waves when there's cultural and political decisions being made that are completely contrary to Scripture. He'll have a squabbling over the color of the paint in the nursery rather than praying against the forces of evil that are killing fellow Christians. That's the kind of deception. That's the kind of sleeping that the church is involved in now in North America. But we're still called to be honoring God and to be willing to suffer for him and not to be surprised when this this suffering does come. 
James said we're to submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. But sometimes there's quite a battle goes on before he does flee. Sometimes it can end in death. But it's all part of in accordance with God's perfect plan. We are called to be obedient in the battle. Revelation speaks of the death of the of many the hands of evil, the many saints of the hands of evil. It, just in Scripture, we know that, that history tells us, but also the Scripture tells us that many of almost all the type of disciples, except John, died, were killed for their faith. The Apostle Paul died for his faith. John the Baptist died for his faith. All with the hands of evil men, controlled by the satanic forces. So, see, we are in the world. We're in the world, but we're not of the world, meaning we're living in a hostile environment. This is a, the world is still under the great control and influence of the satanic forces. And we are living in that dark world. And so we are living in enemy territory. If we are living in enemy territory, how could we not be expected to be engaged in warfare, battling, fighting on a regular and consistent basis? Hugely, hugely important to understand that. And we must be on guard and ready to engage the enemy. See, the kingdom of God is now in our heart. The kingdom of God one day will fill the whole world. So how are we as Christians, believers, facing this battle that we're in? Are we going to do it foolishly? Like the foolish person who built his house on sand, continuing to live in sin when we know it? Not ready not on guard to engage the enemy. Some Christians battle with fear, struggle with fear. They're consumed by fear, especially in this last couple of years with this pandemic. But Jesus made it really clear who were to fear in Matthew 10. He said, fear, don't fear the one who can kill the body, but fear the one who can kill the body, destroy the soul, and throw you in hell. That is the one we're to fear. Almighty and sovereign God is the only one we're to fear. What are we afraid of? People are afraid of two things. The unknown and dying. If you, if you challenge your own fear, if you examine your own fear, those are the only two things that are creating fear in your life. You're not knowing what's going to come. You're afraid of dying. And we as believers have the incredible, incredible peace about that because God took the sting of death out of, away from us. We don't need to live in fear. Or do we live by faith through all of this? Living by faith is trusting and believing that God is completely in control and all of this is happening for his glory and our good. So we want to build on this solid rock We've got to engage the enemy here. Using the weapons that God has given us. Verses 14 to 20. Stand therefore with the truth like a belt around your waist. Righteousness like armor on your chest. Your feet saddled with readiness for the gospel of peace. In every situation, take up the shield of faith 
with which you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Pray at all times in the spirit with every prayer and request. And stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for the saints. Pray also for me that the message may be given to me when I open my mouth to make known the boldness, the mystery of the gospel. For this I am an ambassador in change. Pray that I might be bold enough to speak about it as I should. Man, this is the most significant, and I'm, I'm crowding for time here, but let's get through it. We're constantly being reminded here we've got to stand in preparedness. And all of these pieces of armor, do you know what they are? They're all representing Jesus Christ. The first is truth, the truth of Jesus Christ. He said that we are to know the truth. The truth sets us free, sets us free from tyranny of the law, bondage of sin, sets us free from fear, foolish decisions, unfulfilled life that so much of the world is, is struggling with. Jesus is the truth. He's our protector. Put him on. Stand and fight on truth and don't get caught up in the lies of the enemy. Because if you don't know the truth, how can you identify the lies? And that came up in our small group study just this week. Somebody was told that, oh, God's not, doesn't care about that anymore. And this, one of our group members, just right away, the red flag goes up. They go, hmm, where does it say that in the Bible? Of course God cares about this stuff. Don't fail to know the truth. Put on the breastplate of righteousness or the armor on your chest. This is Christ's righteousness that we're being imputed upon us. God's grace, not our righteousness. The breastplate of Christ's righteousness guards us and guards the most valuable and vulnerable part of us, the heart, because the heart is the very essence of who we are, our mind, our will, and our emotions. And there's such a battle going on right now. There's such an imbalance in this. And people are being driven by their emotions and carried along, their mind running wild with crazy thoughts. And the off, often the outcome is irrational, sinful behavior. So this battle for the mind is becoming epidemic. I just read recently that up to 50% of young people are now struggling with anxiety and fear and depression and all kinds of mental struggles. And 7% report that they have none of that. So it's huge. And this battle for the mind is something that's been going on for the last couple of generations, and it's absolutely getting a lot worse. And yet we've been given, we've been told how important it is to guard our mind. Paul says about that in Romans, is be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And he also tells the Corinthians, he says, the weapons we fight with are not weapons, they have spiritual power to demolish strongholds. And we demolish every thought. Make it captive. Make every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And that's controlling. That's controlling our mind. And he also goes on to tell them, he says, and you've been given the mind of Christ. So important. To be sandaled with the readiness of the gospel of peace. And many think the gospel in very simple terms. It says, I'm a sinner. Jesus died for me. Now I'm saved. But that's not the gospel. The gospel, this is the gospel. The whole counsel of God. Because in the beginning, we have peace with God. That's the beginning point. And then that peace with God, because we were all enemies of God until we became believers in Jesus Christ. And then we spend a lifetime growing in the understanding of the peace of God. And that is what is so powerful. 
Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for the salvation of those who believe. The shield of faith protects us from those flaming arrows that come every single day. Lies, deception, doubt, fear, anxiety. We've got to be protected from those things. And that's what the shield of faith does for us. The helmet of salvation is critical because the salvation that I received opened my eyes to the truth of who Jesus Christ is, that I am a soldier. We are soldiers in God's army. We're armed with lethal weapons. Our lives have been transformed, and we can know the truth. God has given us a capacity to know the truth, and his helmet of salvation protects us in that area. We can control our emotions. We can control what we think and how we think. And now we come to the offensive weapons, which is so significant and so powerful. The sword, the sword of the spirit is the offensive weapon, the word of God. And talk about a weapon of mass instruction. Nothing is more powerful than the word of God. And we've been given the very words of God in our hands. And Jesus just demonstrated for us in Matthew 4 how effective it is in deflating and, and defeating the devil. A truth encounter with God's word is so powerful, so significant, and it thoroughly equips us for the work of God and to protect us against the enemy. And we have been given the living word, the Lord Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. And he was with us from the beginning. And the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The Lord Jesus Christ. And the more we know about the written and the living word, the greater is our spiritual power to stand against those spiritual forces of darkness. And finally, finally, this great, huge blessing, incredible weapon aligned with the sword of the spirit is prayer. And when we pray in the spirit, praying the word of God, praying according to the word of God, on our knees before God, what a powerful, powerful opportunity that gives to us. Giving praise to God using his words is so powerful. And Paul reminded us at the very end of there that we need that intercessory prayer to be encouraged, to be strengthened, to be protected. And prayer keeps us emboldened for the work of the kingdom. So if we're not effective in using the weapons, if we're not keeping on the armor of God, then our success battling the enemy very quickly diminishes. If we're not using the offensive weapons, how long can we defend ourselves with the defensive ones? We will be pummeled and beaten down. We must be effective in using God's word. We must know God's word, study God's word, be familiar with God's word, and bathing it in prayer in order to be effective in this spiritual battle. Friends, we have an enemy for our souls, and he's real. His goal is to destroy us, to hinder our spiritual walk, so we must wake up to that. Remember, spiritual attack is under God's control. We have been given armor and weapons to fight these battles and to win them, even unto death. Death is not losing. Death is still winning. Every believer who has died for their faith has won. Losing is giving up on God. Friends, we're in it for God's glory to win. Praise be to God. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon audio. 
For more resources or to connect with us, visit calvarygravenhurst.com.